Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Wow, there was so much of that about that that just felt right, didn't it? Didn't it just feel right? So uh, I want to say for all of you who are streaming on the service once again, uh, welcome to you. And our room is uh, socially distanced, but we have folks in here today who are training to uh, and uh, here to help us understand how best to serve you guys when we open on both of our campuses next weekend. So we're pumped about that. Uh, I could not believe when I was doing the math on this. So this is the first time really for us to gather in a worship space since March 8th of this year. So that was 169 days ago from this weekend. Can you believe that? Uh, I remember when uh, I got a call from a friend of ours in our church who was helping us navigate these decisions up on the front end. And I had just been in Delray Beach. I had uh, worked on, uh, went down to be with a family for a funeral service, just finished officiating the service. And uh, I was getting in my car, uh, in my truck to leave, and I saw a text message that said, hey, call me when you can. And I knew, I just knew when I got that text, that was going to be the moment we stepped back. And I remember calling Trevor when I got back to the office and I said, I think we'll just do this. It'll be two weeks. That was 169 days ago, two weeks. So Trevor said, I need to up my prayer life. Uh, And so anyhow, but uh, we're excited to be here. We're excited for this uh, reopening that's coming. And if you are not yet ready to worship with us online, we want to say no worries, of course. The streaming and the podcasting is going to continue uh, just the way it always has. So we'll be able to serve you guys and uh, minister to you in whatever space uh, that you're in. So we just want to make sure that I get that out there. I want to encourage everybody to grab the, the app. If you're here, get ready. We're going to tune in. And today we're going to close our series out. We are in week six of our series, and we've called the series Five Things, and we're talking about growing faith, uh, which we have defined really in the series is simply growing our trust in God. So comparatively what we've been saying over these last several weeks, whenever we talk about faith, we're talking about trust. Whenever we talk about growing our faith, we're talking about growing our trust uh, in the living God. And that's what we've been working our way through uh, over these last uh, few weeks together. If you've been following along, we've been talking through the five most common things uh, that people often point to whenever they're asked what it is that has had the biggest impact on their walk with God. And so whenever we uh, talk about that, whenever we survey these uh, folks around that sort of topic, uh, these are the five things that traditionally come forward. And we've been mentioning them every week to kind of let them stir around in your soul. The first one we talked about is practical teaching. And we said, whenever you're in a, in a place, in an environment, in an atmosphere where uh, you can hear applicational truth from God's word and then put it into practice, your faith is going to bump up. We basically said this, remember what Jesus said, he who hears or she who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And so we've talked about practical teaching. If you're with us, uh, we talked about providential relationships. We said, let's leverage the relationships that we have that are God-honoring in a way that grow our faith. Don't let those be static. 
Don't let those just be something that you take for granted, but rather this, uh, in, in sort of an offensive way, leverage those relationships so that your faith actually grows. And here's what we've learned. People that do that, their faith bumps up. If you're with us in week three, we talked about, of course, personal uh, disciplines. We said, what are the things that we do to grow in our faith when no one's looking? And Jesus says, you know, the father who sees in secret will reward. And so we talked uh, about that one. If you're with us last week, this was a really challenging talk. We talked about uh, pivotal circumstances. Uh, all of us could probably look back at different moments in our lives where we received, we have, a, we have a phrase for it in our culture, we talk about a wake-up call. How many of you have ever had a wake-up call, right? A lot of people. Some of you should put two hands up, I know. And uh, so, and, and what was, I think, interesting, last week we really used the story uh, of the death and resurrection uh, of Lazarus as a way to sort of give us another category. And that God sometimes will, uh, you know, be best glorified, not in our celebrations, but in our defeats, uh, in our griefs and in our challenges. There is this undeniable interconnection with difficult moments in our lives and how God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, will often use those to grow our faith. I have a friend of mine who says it this way, most of us don't, most of us change not when we see the light. We change when we feel the fire. Isn't that true? How many of you would raise a hand and say, that's true, right? And so that was a challenging talk. And so this week, we're going to close out the series, and I want to give you the last one. So here is the last one. This is of the five top things in which we grow our faith. It's personal ministry. And I want to unpack this. And this is a great topic to talk about when so many of you are here helping us test our systems as to whether we actually are, are prepared uh, next week to welcome folks uh, in an official way back to our campus. Here's when I think about personal ministry, if you want to write some things down, this is what I want to say. God uses what we offer to him, God uses what we offer to him in what we classically refer to as even our time, talent, and treasure, not only to grow his kingdom, but to grow his kingdom in us. This is how this happens. And so what I want to do uh, this weekend is I want to focus on a passage of Scripture uh, that I believe highlights the tension that we often feel in this area and just exactly why this is so important to our faith. And, and the passage I want to uh, lead us into is familiar, but you're get, and you're going to recognize, many of us are going to recognize it right away. But here's what I want to say to you. We're going to look at it in a little bit of a different way. And so the way we typically think about this story is, is sort of commonplace to us, but I'm going to draw our attention to something today that I think is not normally the common way that we look at this passage of Scripture. And I want to read the story to you. It's Matthew chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 13, and it's where Jesus feeds the 5,000, okay? So let's uh, l- look at this together. I want to read it. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. Here's how Matthew records it. He says, so when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And then as evening approached, the disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. 
send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And, uh, and then they responded, we have here only five loaves uh, of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples, uh, to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children, okay? Let's uh, unpackage this passage of scripture. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we're so thankful for your word. And God, I just, I just am so grateful that every time uh, I read your word, there is an opportunity for me to experience your power, to understand you better and to grow in my faith and my experience of your love for me and for the world. And so, Lord, the same thing is true in this space. And I just ask that God, both uh, in this room, both uh, over in our, on our East Campus, that wherever anyone is streaming or listening to the service right now, would you give us the ability in this space to hear very clearly from you so that our faith may grow and develop. We love you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. So here's what I want to say if you're taking notes. This is really a classic story. This is one of the, I, I think if we were to line up all of the, the miracles of Jesus, this is one of the most powerful miracles and one of the most well-remembered miracles. Even outside of uh, Christianity, people sometimes refer to this uh, miracle story in the life of Jesus sort of anecdotally to kind of communicate the idea of of what can happen uh, in certain moments. So this is kind of a powerful story, and we're going to look at it in a different way because I think if we only use it to highlight Jesus' power and compassion, uh, as beautiful as the story is, we're going to miss a deeper meaning that is right in front of us that I think Jesus wants to convey. So this is what I want to talk about. Now, the, the, if you're noticing, the, the story begins uh, in verse uh, 13, And it just simply says it this way. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, and here's what had happened. John the Baptist had just been beheaded. And John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And so Jesus is out doing ministry, and he learns that his cousin uh, has died this horrific death. And Jesus, uh, in in a moment really of compassion, is just sort of overcome with grief. And the Bible tells us that he did what I think oftentimes many of us do in these moments. He withdrew, and he wanted to go to a different place to just be alone, and he wanted to go to a place to grieve and to probably pray and to be with the Father. And uh, the word got out. This is probably at the zenith, uh, the, the highest moment of his popularity in terms of his earthly ministry. And so they, uh, the crowds hear about this, and they sort of flank Jesus. And when Jesus gets to where Uh, He's retreating to all these crowds are there uh, for ministry. And so rather than getting an opportunity really to peel off and to be be alone and to be away, he he has, you know, uh, met with this uh, humongous crowd of people 
pushing at him with all their needs. Now, I want you to imagine, put yourself in that position just for a moment. And so this is sort of going on. This is real. This is sort of unfolding. And then the disciples begin to interject into this story. And we find in verse 15, uh, Jesus, you know, filled with compassion, does all of this ministry. Here's what I want to draw your attention to. He does all these miracles all day long. And then as the sun begins to set, the disciples come to him. I want us to get the tension of this moment. And this is what they say. They say, this is a remote place, Lord. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves food all day. I want to give you my translation of this, okay? Even though, Lord, we've watched you do miracles all day long, send them away. They will figure it out. So get the tension of that moment. And, uh, you know, and, and, and here's what we think. By this time, Jesus has already done some of his miraculous work just by calling it out. He's already just, you know, uh, you know spoken uh, miracles into being, and that's taken place. You would have thought maybe in that space, because of the disciples' challenge to Jesus, Jesus would, would, would do that. But here's what I want you to notice, and this is where I want to kind of break open what I think is a powerful moment for us all to understand. And, and here's the thing. It's a moment all of us have to journey through if we really want our faith to mature. This is, you know, we, we, when I think about this, we come to faith in a million different ways. If I were to hand a microphone off in this room, I wouldn't do it because all the ushers would rush me. It would break all our social distancing rules, right? But if we were to do that uh, this morning or wherever you're listening to the service, if you were to kind of pull those who you're streaming the service with, um, we would all say, well, it was this situation. And in large measure, we talked through all of the other four things. Well, it was this pivotal moment. It was this uh, person. It was when somebody explained this to me. It was this kind of discipline that somebody challenged me on. I began to act into. And, um, you know, we all come in these different ways. But here's the thing I want you to think about. If we all come out of the woods in the journey of our faith, all of those roads will converge down into this one path that all of us have to go through if we really, really want our faith to mature. And this is what Jesus is going to unfold for us uh, in this story, using the disciples as an example. Here's what happens in Matthew 14, verse 15. Jesus doesn't do what the disciples ask him to do. And instead, he offers to them a principle and, and what I want to do is I want to give you the principle because, again, this is the path we all have to go down if we want our faith to mature. Every other thing that we've talked about in this series, all these different four things, they're, they're vastly important. But this is the one that kind of binds them all together in such a wonderful way. And so what we find unfolding is this principle. And here's the principle. I want to give it to you. Maybe you want to write it down. You bring what you have. He brings what he has. That's a powerful, powerful principle. You bring what you have. He brings what he has. And we find the principle in play in verse 16. 
And I want to show, show you, I think we're going to put verse 16 up on the screen. Here's what it says. Jesus replied, you do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, I want again, I want to draw your attention. I, I think it's important that we don't, we don't miss the tension of this moment. I mean, here the disciples are still trying to get it. Here are the disciples, all this stuff is sort of unfolding around them. Jesus has been doing all this miraculous stuff. We don't even know what he was doing. The, Matthew doesn't record it. I mean, he could have been raising people out of the, uh, you know, out of a paralytic situation. He could have been casting demons out. He could have been doing all these things, and they get to the end of the day after all this miraculous ministry, and they're hungry, and he says, Lord, we can't do that one. You need to send them home. And so in this powerful moment, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now, this is a basic tenet, I think, of the Christian faith. And this is the moment that Jesus is teaching this principle to the disciples. There's a real temptation, I think, oftentimes. And maybe you want to write this down. There's a real temptation all of us must uh, overcome, which is to move into a relationship with Jesus and treat it just like every other relationship you already have. That's a major mistake. And I think sometimes, you know, because... Uh, we have done so much, I think, in our culture right now to sort of humanize Jesus, and I, I mean that in a real, in, a, in an honorable sense. You know, we, we understand that, that Jesus' mercy is there. We understand his compassion is there. We, we, we emphasize and we sing that Jesus wants to be our friend. All of these things are good, are good things, but we have to hold intention. This is a different relationship than from every other relationship that you're ever going to have. And there's a temptation to just make it the same. And what I notice here is that, you know, sort of prior to this, they might have uh, marveled at Jesus' compassion. They may have been frustrated by the needs of the crowd. And this is the tension. And sometimes when we're walking along in our, in our faith journey, uh, we see a need, we feel this tension. And the tension shows up, you know, we, we see it, we see a need, we want to respond to it, but we're not sure how to respond. We're not sure, you know, what to do. And this is sort of a real challenge, you know. Uh, I, I was thinking this week about a question around this. Have you ever one time in your life been overwhelmed by the needs of another person? Come on. Right? Have you, ever, have you ever had somebody in your life, you know, a, a, a loved one, a, a neighbor, a friend, and, and they're so needy, you're just overwhelmed by their needs. You know, you see them in the grocery store, you go down another aisle, right? I mean, in this season right now, it's so much easier. You can put your mask up higher, <laughs> pretend you never saw them. I saw some of you a couple of weeks ago, you saw me, you went down another aisle. I don't really know what that was communicating about me. This is, the, this is the idea that I think is really a challenging thing. And we bump into this principle, and here's, here's what happens a lot of times. The tension is there, and, and, and this is what I think many of us do in our faith. We quit. And do you know why we quit? Because we treat our relationship with Jesus just like every other relationship. And just on the other side of this door is this powerful moment that Jesus is using in this space uh, through the lives of the disciples to teach us just incredibly how powerful our relationship with the living God can actually be. And we have to press through it. 
This is such a great thing. So, so here's what I want to tell you. It's not only the principle. It's, it's, here's the next click, if you're taking notes. It's putting the principle in play. My goal this morning, whether you're listening online, whether you're here in a service, is not just that you understand the principle. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave here like your pants are on fire and put the principle in play. And here's the principle. You do what you can do. He does what only he can do. There it is in play. You do what you can do. He does what only he can do. This is such a powerful thing. Um, and we find it in verses 17 and 18. Look at the answer here. Lord, um, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus answered and he said, bring them here to me. Here's what I want to say to you right now. That is not just an exchange of communication, I believe with all my heart, just to those disciples on that day. I think it's a universal call for every single one of us. You bring what you have here to me. Let me show you what I can do. This is such a powerful thing. Verse 19 says this, they direct the people to sit down on the grass. They take their meager offering to bless, uh, asking God to bless it. He gives it back to the disciples and tells them to give it to the people. Now, again, let's go, let's go to the story. I want you to feel the tension of this. They, they still don't get it. They have not yet put it in play. They're like many of you guys looking at me right now. We've not yet put it in play, maybe. And so like in this moment, you know, um, Jesus takes the, the loaves and the fishes and he blesses them and then he turns to the disciples and gives it back to them and says, feed them. Think about that for a moment. Five loaves, two fishes, crowds pressing in. You can feel their breath on the back of your neck, right? And they're, they're praying. They open their eyes. Nothing looks different. They turn around now to feed the people, right? Here's what I'm thinking. This is what I would have done. I'd have looked at the people in the front row and I would have said, you got a shot. And I would have probably let my gaze go but two or three rows back and I would have said, sucks to be you, right? And this is, this is what happens in that moment in real time. And then as uh, they are obedient to put the principle in play, look what happens? And here's what I want to draw your attention to. Every single one of us as a follower of Jesus, we have to converge from whatever way we came to get to know God. We all get on this path. This is a journey down a path. We all have to take together. We all at least have to step into this individually if our faith is really gonna grow. This is what we gotta do. I'll never forget the first time that I actually learned this principle. Um, I think some of y'all know because I, I, I preach enough and tell these stories. You know, we had, uh, I grew up, I'm a native Floridian. I was born in Jacksonville. My dad wor- worked, he was uh, uh, in management with Nabisco. We lived in Tampa. We, moved, we lived in Bradenton. And then in 1978, he took a new position with, with his company. And we moved from uh, Braden, Florida, over to here. We church shot. We ended up at the East Campus, which is now our East Campus. And that was a place of deep and vital faith, still is a place of deep and vital faith 
uh, over there, and our, our faith began to grow. Now, I had just said yes to Jesus. I was basically a beach guy and a baseball guy. That's basically what I was. I mean, if, if I wasn't playing baseball, I was at the beach. And that's the kind of thing. And then, then I came here, and I began to grow in my faith, and I developed a relationship with a pastor, uh, a friendship uh, with a pastor on our East Campus, who began to invite me into arenas to put this principle into play. And I'll never forget one day he called me and he said, hey, um, I need your help. And, and you, ever, you ever had somebody ask you your help and, and you say yes before they tell you what they want you to do, right? And I said, sure, Pastor Tom, whatever, what, what is it you want? And he said, I want you to go with me to a nursing home. And, and I want to tell you something about me, my own personality. I've always loved uh, our senior citizens. That's, I was just raised uh, in a home that that honored that, and so uh, I'm very comfortable uh, in that arena, and I love that. And I think Pastor Tom probably saw that in me, even though I didn't really know that existed or saw that in myself. But he called me and asked me to do this, and it kind of freaked me out because you hear all the stories about nursing homes, right? And and I was like, I was trying to figure out a way how to get out of it, and and he said, No, 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 I want I, I want you to go with I want you to go with me to a nursing home. And because I, I liked him and appreciated him, it felt like I couldn't say no. I said, okay, I'll go. And I'll be honest with you guys, I was kind of wigged out about it. And so I, I met him at the church. We drove over to this uh, nursing home, and he took, took me. And you're walking down these halls. There are all the smells of a nursing home, right? You, uh, there are people, there are needs, there are sounds. There's all this stuff going on. And then we, we come into this sort of big room and hear all these people sitting in chairs, sitting in wheelchairs, standing in the back. And he just would do a service and remind them about uh, God's grace. And he said, I just want you to come. And I remember when I went and did that, and when we left, I didn't do anything. I just stood there. And so I, I, I kind of wondered when I left, why did you say you need my help? I didn't do anything. The next week came, he said, I want you to go back with me. Well, about the third time in, he said, well, now we're going to take some of those who can, who are healthy enough. He said, we're, we're going to take them out. He said, they never get to leave here. We're going to take them out of the nursing home. And I want you to help me do that. See, he was leading me on the whole time. And I said, what, what, where, what, what are we doing? And he said, he said, we're taking them bowling. And I said, we're going to what? And he said, we're taking them bowling. And he said, I'm going to need you to help drive. This will tell you how long ago this was. He said, I'm going to need you to use your car to help. We're going to load some of these precious folks over. We're going to take them bowling. I want to show you my car. This is my car. <laughs> and uh, I know that's a chick magnet car right there. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll never forget that I, I, drove, I drove over to that nursing home. We loaded people into that car, and, uh, and we... We took them bowling. And here's what I remember about that experience. My faith bounced. And you know why? It was my first opportunity to put the principle in play. The principle all of us have to go through if our faith is going to grow. So there's one other click that I want to make sure that we don't forget. And I think of it this way. It's the purpose that lies behind the principle in play. And here's the goal. It's total trust. God wants to move every one of us 
into a space where, where we trust him completely. And here's what I know. Weird as this environment is, I preached at Palm Beach Atlantic University last week in a similar situation. And I came home and I told Beth, I said, uh, she said, how'd it go? I said, I felt like a science experiment. And, you know, everybody's wearing masks, they're looking at me, you know, and, and, and here's what I know, but behind that mask, you have brought, you have brought the circumstances of your life into this space. And here's a G, I can tell you this unequivocally, you know what Jesus wants? He wants you to be able to trust him completely with whatever it is that you brought into this space. And, and you know how I know it? It really happens. This is a very interesting thing. It happens, I believe, in the next story. And the story right after the story I just read to you is the, the other popular story about, about uh, the disciples and about miracles. It's Peter walking on the water. And in Matthew, here's what's interesting in the Gospels. Matthew, for whatever reason, puts that story right after the one we just read. And I think he did it on purpose. Now, we know that when the scriptures were put together, it wasn't necessarily in every regard chronological, but Matthew puts it together in this way because I think he's showing us the back end of this principle. And when we, and, and, and I think the principle really comes down into Matthew 14, verse 28, where, where Peter sees Jesus walking on the water, and this is what he says. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And, and, and here's what I want to tell you. Here's what we know about Peter. Peter knows about storms, right? He's a fisherman. He knows about water. Why? Because he's a fisherman. So he takes what he knows, he, 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 he does what he can, and he invites Jesus to do what only he can do. Now, here's what I want you to, to, to make sure that you don't miss. I don't think he was just giving Peter an, ex, an experience of walking on the water because he was a fisherman. He had greater work for Peter to do. And he knew that if Peter was ever going to launch into that greater work, there was going to be deeper trust that is required. And it makes me wonder sometimes, really, if it's like this. What, wherever we're taking a step right now of deeper trust, what if God in his wisdom, what if God in his grace, what if God in his sovereignty, as beautiful as that moment is, it isn't for this moment. It's for this moment. And when you say yes over here, God is preparing you and outfitting you and getting you qualified for this moment over here. And, and, and trust me, you don't want to get here and be unqualified. And how does it happen? It happens when you say yes over here. When, when you do what you can and he does what only he can. See, this is really powerful stuff. Some of us are learning right now. We've got some stuff going on in our lives. And if we trust here, it's going to make a difference here. I can tell you as a parent, I've thought about that 8 million times. 
the stuff that I've learned over here as a dad, the stuff I learned over here as a son, when I began to apply my faith to that and step into that, it was just preparing me later on for life when I had my, we had our kids. This is important. Don't miss your moment. Walk down that path. Let God, by his grace, meet you there. Put the principle in play so that your faith will grow. Lord, I'm so thankful that you give us such a beautiful example of what this is all about. I'm so thankful, Lord, that on this side of religious history, you know, we could look at all these different examples of of the disciples and how they journeyed and how they struggled and how it is that they developed their faith. And it's just a reminder that that's how we must develop our own. God, we can't pray someone else's prayers for them, even even like we can't step into greater moments of faith until we've taken our first fledgling steps. Would you help us to understand this principle, Lord? But even better yet, would you give us the courage in all of our lives to put it into play? This is what we pray together collectively as a church family. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. You know, before we close the service, I just want to remind everybody that uh, if you are taking a first step in your walk with God, maybe you're getting to know Jesus for the first time, maybe you've never uh, prayed to him and invited him into your life to forgive your sins, to be your Lord and leader, your forgiver, your friend, that's what we like to say. This is a great moment to do that. And if you're taking a, an important step in your faith journey today, we want to encourage you to text next to the number on the screen. And we have some precious folks in our church that would like to reach out to you to help you connect in a more important way and grow in your faith. God bless you. Go in his grace, everyone. And we'll see you, many of you, next week. Amen.